0: Want to lead, you want to make impact, you want to be great, you are called to something bigger. You know it sitting here listening to this right now. You already know that there's somewhere you need to get to, but the information and the support and the courage that you need to get there isn't there yet. And it's not easy to find, my friends. This isn't on offer everywhere in the world, only in the Forge, which I believe is the singular premier online immersion learning experience for people who are seeking the same levels of effectiveness, courage, confidence, and greatness as you are, this is your new home. So come and join us. There's information below on how you can sign up for an information session so you can find out if this is in fact the perfect fit for you. Come and join us. I'm looking forward to building this tribe with you on the team. See you in spring 2021. Well, you can't have been in the Agile space for very long without hearing about my next guest, Joanna Rothman. Joanna is an author, consultant, and speaker, and she's just released a series of new books, a triad, called Modern Management Made Easy. She's here to tell you all about them today, and I know you'll get a lot out of this one. I really enjoyed this conversation. That's this week on the Badass Agile Podcast. Greetings, team. Welcome to the Badass Agile Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Joanna, you there? I am. Hi, Joanna. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank
0: you. And how about you? I'm doing great. I'm, I've been really excited to, to talk to you because you're one of those names that I keep bumping into that I have never met until now. So this is actually a first for me. And I'm really excited to have you on the show. I want to thank you for jumping on. And I know you're going to add a ton of value to the audience out there. Is it okay if I get started with a question? Oh, please. All right. So some people believe that leaders are made. Others would tell you that they're born. Which are you? And how did your journey inform who you help? And what's in these pages of these three wonderful books?
1: Okay. So I'm going to have to take that apart let me first start with there is no such thing as a natural leader or a manager i happen to think that if you're a manager you must also be a leader but there is no naturalness about this this is being made and we we use our our best selves to make us the best leaders we can be and it's for me it's all about practice practice, 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 well, with some feedback in there. (laughs) But it's all about looking back at what I did and practicing and saying, I might not be perfect today, but I can work on that for tomorrow. So that was the born not made thing. uh, And I think it's made not born. And what was the next question?
0: How did your, so if you're made not born, then you went on a journey of practice, practice, practice to get to be the leader who you are. How did that journey, in all of its twists and turns, shape what we see in the pages of this book, and the kinds of people that you ultimately help?
1: So let me start with me, and then I'll go to the people I I often support. And um, I saw a ton of very bad management. As a developer, as a tester, as a project manager, um, when I was a middle of manager and a senior manager, it's it's as if everybody who tried to be a good manager kind of missed the mark. I had I had two really great managers in my almost eighteen years inside the organization. Two? That's crazy. Right, that's not enough people who are great managers. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I have been, I, I watched, I talked, I offered alternatives, I did all kinds of things, and as I, as I grew in my management practice, I learned to try a, a number of different things, and I often, I often came clean with with the people I'd led and served, and I said, this is an experiment. I don't know if this is going to work, but I would like to try it. Is anybody nervous about this? I'm a little nervous, but, you know, can we do it? And almost all the time, they would say, yeah, go for it, Johanna. What What's the worst thing that could happen? So I got permission from the people I let insert. And now as a consultant, when I offer alternatives to my clients, most of the time my clients are um. Well, they they all mean well, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to say that because people are nobody comes to work saying oh, I want to really screw this mm-hmm. up for everybody today. Yeah, they they all mean well, and they don't realize the effect of their actions and their words on other people. So I act more as a mirror to help them see. Um. Here, when I hear you say that, I feel this, right? So I I help them see why um, when they say things like, uh, don't bring me a problem, bring me a solution, <laughs> why that's not very helpful to the people who have the problems.
0: I agree. You know what's a marvel about these three books is that it's really ambitious in the sense that a lot of people could fill up that many pages with stuff. But as I went through it, I realized it's packed with, it's almost like a reference for managers that they could pull out if they're experiencing any kind of problem. Like people who don't delegate, there's a whole chapter there. People who don't trust their teams, there's a chapter there. Dealing with managers who you know, who don't get it or who want to micromanage, not only is there a theoretical text, but there's also like conversations to model, which is, incredible in terms of a re- and being a resource for our listeners. So I, And of course, it's based on these essays that you wrote, the, th- the 36 myths, and correct me if I have it wrong, but I want to get to how did we get to 36 myths? But let's start with, you know, if, if someone were to read these cover to cover, and I don't think they have to, I honestly think that you could pull them out on an as-needed basis, but there's also some overarching principles there. And I think you can't use the book without understanding those. Can you share what some of those principles are?
1: Oh, sure. So the the very first principle is clarify your purpose. So why does a company pay you? Why does a company pay your team? Why Why does the organization exist? And it's not so much what have you done for me lately. It's really about the value that you need to provide that the team needs to provide, that the organization needs to provide. And when we start to think about value, at least for me, I find that that really helps me say, I am here to do this thing or this set of things. Um, I, I find that for me, purpose really makes a difference. And uh, Desi, Edward Desi and uh, Dan Pink, talked about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And Mm -hmm. that's where this purpose business is not just for the project. It's really for the greater good for the organization. So wherever you are, right, start with the purpose. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is build empathy with the people who do the work. I cannot tell you the number of times. And I I have done this, right? The work was easy to describe. And I thought it must be easy to do. I was so, so wrong. So (laughs) that's that's why there are a whole bunch of conversations in here. Some of them are mistakes I made. (laughs) Some of them are, are mistakes my managers made. And once I realized that empathy with the people who do the work is so key, I stopped assuming that if it was easy to describe, it would be easy to do. And then there's a safe environment i i find that psychological safety is often misunderstood it's really about the ability to have open and honest discussions and disagree with each other and if we if we can do that with respect we often have a safe environment there's more to it than that and everybody should read a- amy edmondson's book but there's there's a lot there
0: We could certainly use a lot more of that, though. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was just thinking about how how, how relevant is that in 2021, that we need to spend more time hearing each other and less time, you know, staying on our pole, staying on our, on our, um, standing on, standing our ground.
1: Well, and so you're based in Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in the U.S. And I think that if... anybody who looked at our recent election um, where we're recording this in January of yep. 2021. Um, I, I, I have been, I have voted for a long time and I, I actually really like when we have really good discussions about the topics, but not the people. Yes. And for a long time, the, Um, The elections in the U.S. have been based on people, not principles or even positions. And I find that that makes it very uh, polarizing.
0: I agree. And it's so applicable to what you write about, because a great manager can't be about a personality or charisma or personal style, but rather the skill sets. And as you mentioned, the vision, the purpose, the empathy And the safety that they provide. And that brings me to another point, which is this is one of the few books that really takes care of managers in the agile space. And I'm guilty of this. We talk about leaders. Uh, We don't really name a position, but there's an assumption that these are top level leaders, that those are the, the skills and the roles worth pursuing. But at the end of the day, when you go into big organizations, you're looking at hundreds, if not thousands of managers who are involved in steering the work. This is one of the few books in the Agile space that's really for them. I'd love to hear about how you decided to focus on managers.
1: So uh, you read book three, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. And you you um, you noticed my little images of cohorts of of managers at all levels. And <clears throat> when I think of cohorts of managers, I really think of people who can get things done in the organization. So one of the problems we have with agility in in, a, in any size organization is we still have the development manager, the test manager, the UI manager, the tech pubs manager, right? All of these people are functionally based managers and they need to collaborate in order for agility to really work. And the directors, need to collaborate, the the VP level, which is not the senior leadership C level, right? All, all the levels need to collaborate. And if we don't address that problem in the agile community, we are not going to ever be able to get to business agility.
0: I agree. This, this started with a bunch of essays that you wrote around 36 myths. Tell us about the myths, why you broke it into three books and what are the functions of each book?
1: So I'm going to actually start at the end there. So, so the function of each book is to to collect in some way, quote everything which is not, of course, everything. Everything you would need to know to um, to take a personal view of how you work in the in the organization. That's manage yourself. How how you support and lead your team. That's the second book, and then how you can create an innovative organization. When I started to write the books, or I should I should say the myths, um, and I, I had to add a couple of myths um, to make to make the books really work. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I I was writing these myths, and I said, you know, I keep seeing this craziness in the organization where people are are doing stuff that gives them exactly the opposite result. Than they want, and I found that um, the myths were were well received, which is great. So if I had left the myths as they were, it would have been interesting, but not not really consumable. People really needed to know what alternatives they had, mm-hmm. and that meant I needed a little introduction. I needed um, more alternatives. So every myth now has an introduction, which is often uh, a conversation because that's how these things occur. Then there's the myth with the conversation. And then there's me deconstructing it and then offering options at the end.
0: I like the options best because every environment's different. Every person's different. People will have different comfort levels and an ability to stretch and stick their necks out if they're new to this process and managing people or managing agile, and so the options allow you to choose different things that might work. And if one fails, here's another experiment you can try, which I thought was brilliant. Very well done. I like that a lot. Of all of the myths, there have got to be some that appear everywhere you go. No one's immune. They keep popping up. Everyone wants to know, you know, how do we fix it, and or they don't know that they have this problem. They don't know that they subscribe to this myth. So it creates these tenacious and prickly problems. Which among all of the myths do you think are the most persistent and or the most dangerous?
1: Oh, I think that part of it is um, and this this often comes from the top down that the manager has to be indispensable, right? That the team cannot work without the manager. And that means that the seed level has tendrils into the next level and the, the VPs have tendrils into the director level and the director level has tendrils into the first line managers and the first line managers have tendrils into the team. And that means that nobody is really paying att- enough attention to the strategy and the products they're so focused on operations. And I mean, my background is project and program management. I'm right. all about operation-y, operational stuff, right? Let's Let's get this done. Let's get it out. I mean, I really, I love that part. And if we don't think of the strategy, it does not matter how many iterations we have. It does not matter if we use... Um, iterations or flow it doesn't matter how how often we look at the backlog none of that matters because we might not even be doing the right products because nobody is paying attention to that overall perspective and that's that when when managers have their tendrils in the work a little bit below it makes the project portfolio impossible to manage right so now now we're we're down up, we're, we're all the way down in the teams, and that pops us back up to the senior levels. And we we cannot get anything cleanly done yeah. in the organization.
0: Would you talk for a moment about what congruence means in the context of your, your books, and, and what's a congruent manager?
1: So congruence is the idea that we balance ourselves the other person, and the context in every single interaction. And I find that when I start with congruence, I'm often most of the way there for the kinds of options I want to consider for my language, for my actions, for how I deal with people and, and all of the all the interesting um, <clears throat> interactions that occur inside a team or a work group. and It's not that we can never be congruent, but I think that there are lots of, there are lots of times that we can be, we often need to center ourselves and um, we can be angry and congruent. Um, It just is the same way we can be happy and congruent. But the real key is if we treat people with respect, we are much more likely to have a congruent position even if we have a very tough conversation.
0: You mentioned something about centering yourself, and it brings up something that you put, I believe it's in book two, that a good chunk of the book is dedicated to some dysfunction or some mythologies that create problems or create inefficiencies. What, what you call, I think, disruptions to the, the management flow. In book two, you disc- you discuss the idea of when do you take time to contemplate? And that kind of hit me like a shot because it came out of nowhere. It's a great question. We're so busy doing work. How was your day? Oh, super busy. Really, what are you up to? Oh, gosh, you don't even know. Meetings, 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 back-to-back meetings, meetings. And you raise an important question. When do you take time to get centered, to think about problems, to you know rebalance what's going on in your head? It- how come so many people miss that?
1: Well, I think part of it is what senior leadership rewards. So the rewards in in many, many organizations are all about doing things, right? You are responsible for your team's ability to ship this product or your department's ability to, to ship and support products or whatever that is. And as long as we say to managers you are responsible for, and there's an action over there, managers will do that because they're not stupid, right? People um, will do what is rewarded. And when when the reward systems are all about outcomes, well, often sometimes about outputs, but when the reward system is about action-based outcomes, how do you ever take time to think? I mean, I, so back when I was a manager, one of my, um, I was a director level and I I wanted to be the next level up, which is a VP. And I said to my manager, I would like to support your work on the strategy. And he said, I only do strategic planning when we all go for our offsite that once a year. And I I, I, you're not surprised, I said. Yeah. Really? That's all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually had to say I was the queen of the career-limiting conversation mm-hmm. in these books I,
0: I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the this leads us to one of the things I like most about your books and about your um, your purpose, which is bringing humanity to the workplace. That's so important. And as leaders and managers, we have an opportunity to do that if we learn how to influence and influence well, to do the things that you mentioned, that is to say, to have a sense of purpose and to be empathetic, but also to create safe places for people to hold opposing viewpoints. It's hard for someone at manager level to influence something like an OKR or an MBO or how people get measured. So what can managers do to help the cause of bringing more humanity to the workplace?
1: Well, certainly to start with yourself. But secondly, I, I think it's really worth having a conversation with the people who put in the MBOs or the OKRs, all this. Uh, I mean, OKRs are not really supposed to be MBOs, but yeah, fine. Um, I actually said in the books that I've stopped recommending <laughs> that my clients use them. But I I ask, if you can ask nicely, if you can say, I see that you want me to do this, right? You want, you want everybody to subscribe to this MBO or this OKR or something. Um, and you will do performance management based on how much of this we do. Is that, does that help us with our business agility? Does that help us learn earlier? Does that help us um, figure out how to experiment enough in the organization so we can see, would we make better progress if we had product A or product B or even product C or D or um, hopefully not all of them, <laughs> but, but some, some different choice than we have now. Because a, a lot of the ways organizations work with MBOs and NKRs right now is we assume that the outcomes are what we need. And I have found that the more agility we need in the organization, the less we actually understand the outcomes we need. We need a whole lot more experimentation.
0: That's a great answer, thank you for that. I um, I want, so for someone who's a contractor, for example, when they come into an organization, they often feel like they have a harder time influencing or even participating in those conversations at that level. What kind of resources does your book provide for for these managers who are trying to have that kind of influence, to make that kind of change, to stand on their courage and say, you know what, I can make a difference here. What are some of the areas, what are some of the myths, and what are some of the experiments that you encourage managers or even contractors, coaches, scrum masters, to try to have to affect change?
1: So I think especially if you are more of a facilitator of a team, right, like a scrum master or a coach, then how can you, first of all, at what level are you working? Is it reasonable for you to go, quote, up several levels to where the problems really are? And if not, what would you have to do to make it safe for you to do that? So um one of one of my clients um, has had trouble keeping up um, how can I say this? Well, I'll figure this out <laughs> um, they they've had trouble keeping their scrum masters. The scrum masters have actually said to them, um, the teams are doing fine. The problem is every time you give people um their their individual rewards, they do they do some kind of formal performance management once every quarter. So four times a year, a manager sits down with every employee, which sounds like it should be a really good idea, but they talk about money and they talk about ranking inside the organization. So the Scrum Master comes in after this meeting and the these people are not willing to work together any longer because they're being measured on their own stuff. Not on how well they collaborate with other people. Not on how well the product um, goes out. None of that. It's all about their stuff. So the scrum. So the scrum masters have left. Some, the company has fired some. It's it's been a um, kind of a chaotic situation. So I actually um, my client is a VP, and I said to my client tell me about the value you're getting from these conversations right cuz people don't do stuff unless they get value and so he said to me i, I understand what my directors are doing i think i understand how they're contributing and right, and that that kind of propagates down the organization so i said can you think of three alternatives this is the rule of 3 mm-hmm. that i and i talk about a lot in the books oh i
0: love this i love this
1: Yeah. Can you think of three alternatives that would get you the same results without having to focus people on their individual work? Because Agile approaches say we want collaboration. And every time, every quarter, you kind of reset and say we don't want collaboration. But then you say we want collaboration, right? So the people feel like um, they have whiplash. And the managers aren't happy either because they they don't know what to do. And you're getting a lot of value because you think that people are getting feedback. But I'm not so sure that the feedback is all that useful for the kinds of products and services you want. So what other alternatives could you imagine that would give you the results that you want? So notice I did not tell him he was stupid. He is not a stupid guy. Great. This this is not about stupidity. This is about misunderstanding of how things work with people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he and I share a common trait. I did not get into software because I was so good at people skills. <laughs> I, I continue to work on my people skills every single hour of every single day. Um, he and I could be kind of twins, although he's 20 years younger than I am. And, um, I think that when, when we offer people the benefit of the doubt, if I had gone in and said, you know, that's just stupid, would he have listened to me? No. But when I said to him, I, I see where you want to go. What other alternatives do you have? Now I had created an opening for a conversation about the purpose of feedback, about the purpose of reviews, about the purpose of performance management, about what they reward. We had a whole lot of coaching about that particular topic. And by the time I was done with them, I had worked with people in HR because HR was a little... I, I guess the the best word I have is stuck because they were stuck on the way things always were which is understandable and this is they when they first started the system they were able to have feedback conversations every week with every employee and too many managers were now using this quarterly meeting to have, The only feedback conversation with people. Oh, yeah. So it was a whole system that was broken and he could only see this part of the system. And that when I asked him about options and what he really wanted and was he getting what he wanted and all that other stuff, that that totally changed the conversation.
0: Can I get you to laser focus on something that you explained so well? Why three alternatives?
1: Oh, so I got this from Jerry Weinberg, right? I, I need to give credit where credit is due. And Esther and I wrote about it in Behind Closed Doors, Secrets of Great Management. But the rule of three is one option is a trap, right? If that's your only solution, that's the hammer and nail. right? If you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Two options creates a dilemma. Which one? Either this one or that one. I. I have no choice. I have to make a decision between these two. However, I have noticed that in almost every problem I need to solve, there are at least three options. And when I generate the third option, I often think of the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Um, some Some of our listeners will say, I need 25 options. Well, I don't actually need 25, <laughs> but I find I find that three options really helps me break that log jam of thinking. I now change how I see the problem itself.
0: You know, you mentioned, too, that uh, you talk about legacy thinking and the and the way we've always done things. And I think that when you only go with one option and so to me, this is like this is gold for everyone listening that if you only go with one option and then you say, well, you ask me for a solution, there's my idea, go execute on it. And you know, in a week or a month or whatever, we'll see how it's doing. When you do that, you, it, it permits and excuses reflex thinking, which is rooted in the way we've always done things. But the minute you force people to come up with not two, but three or more, now you're getting into real valuable problem-solving skills. And I think that one little switch, that one little remembrance could really help people open up how we solve problems and how we break through legacy thinking too. Here's one thing I really liked. You have a little section where you say that let's, I can't remember how you phrase it, but basically let me help you leave. There are times when stuff ain't working out and there's so much negative stigma around helping people be successful somewhere else. Can you tell me how you came upon that and why it's so important?
1: Sure. So I was managing uh, an unjeller. I talk about ungellers in the book, and when you have somebody who is really tearing the team apart, uh, your best bet is to get rid of that person as fast as possible. And I had managed to. I had a conversation with this person and said, "This. The, I will call her Susan. That was not her name. I said, Susan, things are not working out. I need you to." um to and this was not even a performance improvement plan right this was i needed her to find another place to work and i said i will help you and she said are you kicking me out and i said well yes but i i, I will help you find another place to work if you can do that in the next 3 months and she said but i like it here and i said i had already given her feedback and coaching i said i'm spending too much time with you 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 irritate other people and you make it impossible for them to work as a team so i'm going to help you find another place to work she said i've never heard of a manager who does that i said well you know i'm a little different so when i when i went to i had the conversation with her first and then i went to hr and hr was all up in arms how can you do this this is not reasonable mama mama so i said I think that if I find, if I help her find another job, first of all, we don't have to fire her. And you, you, anytime anybody asks for a reference, you can just say, she worked here these dates and she made this amount of money. And that's our policy not to comment on anything else, which was the truth. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to lie. We don't have to fire her. We're not pushing her off to another department in the organization. We're just, we're doing a clean end of, of a difficult problem. We're setting her free. They were not. Yeah. 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 They were not so sure it was going to work. And it it turns out that after a couple of weeks, she said to me, I'm not really having, I'm, I'm having trouble finding something. And I said, you know, we have a competitor over here. How about if I see if, if he wants you? (laughs) And she said. Really? I would get to work in the same domain? Because she really liked the domain we were working in. Mm-hmm. I said, why not? <laughs> so, and the first time, the first time I gave a talk about this, and I said, if you have an angel fire them or, or help them find another job at your competitor, the entire room got hysterical and laughter. And I, I thought, why is this so funny? It's not funny. Or, this is my geekiness, but
0: mm-hmm. yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a wonderful appreciation of the fact that every person, you mentioned Daniel Pink, who suggests that we need to be autonomous and we want to feel like we're good at what we do. We want to know that what we do adds value. And if it's not here, that's not necessarily a person's fault. The fit just isn't right. For one reason or another, it could be culture, it could be the time and place in their life. But if we can set them free and bring them to a place where the fit is better, they instantly become successful and we help them be happier people which is part of what Agile is all about, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, one of my favorite, um, uh, one of the myths or one of the things that just gets under my skin is almost everywhere I go, people will say, well, we, you know, we'd love to have lots of time to gel as a team and work as a team and and grow as a team. But, you know, I got to go do support for part of the day. And then I'm on this other project 50% of the time. And you're pretty clear in the book that people are not chess pieces. They're not here to be deployed on the board like little army tanks in some kids game. Um, the only way you're going to have great growth is if they're allowed to grow and, and stick with a team. That's the one that I see the most. But let me ask you, what is the hardest but the best thing that you do for teams?
1: Okay. Um, I am pretty sure is thinking in flow efficiency not measuring flow efficiency, but thinking in flow efficiency. And I do this for agile teams, feature teams, product teams, whatever. The people actually make the product. And I also do this for management teams because we we talk a lot about senior leadership teams and we talk a lot about product and feature teams. And we don't talk about all those people in the middle who happen to be managers. Mm -hmm. And I find that when I... When I can involve people and say, instead of handing a problem off from manager A to manager B to manager C, how about if we work as a team and come up with a solution together? That's exactly the same thinking as with a product or a feature team. So I think that um, from the best thing I do for teams is figure out how to help them realize how to work in flow efficiency as opposed to resource efficiency thank you for
0: that i like that very much one final question for you what do you hope this book will do these books excuse me what do you hope these three books will do
1: so i i always write um i always write down what i i think success is for any book i publish and i was looking at that today and i was hoping my hope for these books is that they they support people in thinking about how to practice their management they don't have to agree with me they don't have to like everything i say that's not the point but if people get to think about what they do as managers and then figure out how to how to start leading themselves others and the organization i think we will bring we will create a different kind of a culture in many many more organizations and that's what i would like to see
0: that's really powerful and i can see how you're doing that i mean in your practice i can see how the principles applied create so much empowerment so much ability and and give so many answers to people who you know you you said it best when you say it can be a confusing job in the sense that a lot of people are going from a technical role to all of a sudden becoming a manager role and it's like, you moved all my stuff. Like, where's, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why can't, I can't, I, can I code anymore? Can I go and look at this and help comment? And it's like, mm, we kind of need you to do different things now. And I think there's a, a lot of people get lost or go adrift a little bit in that transition. So I think that what you're doing is so important. Uh, may I ask, what's next for you?
1: Uh, I am working on another book. Oh I know God. this is such a surprise. How many do you need? <laughs> Um, I, <laughs> I'm not sure it's about need. No. I, I think that there's something about, um, I really like, um, I, I never thought I would like writing, but mm. I do. Good for so, you. So, yeah. So I am, I am very busy writing. So I am, I'm writing, I'm doing a bunch of workshops. I'm putting together workshops that I want to run as cohorts for each of the three books. and I'm. I'm finishing off the consulting book. I'm starting the consulting cohort in March. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff I'm doing. So it's, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, for somebody, <laughs> I was thinking about this. It's a good thing I've actually been home for the last year with COVID. Well, almost not quite a year because I have a lot of, I have a lot I want to finish and not having to be on a plane. This is really good.
0: It sounds like you get up every day and get to do what you love most. I do. Wow. That's a great position to be in. It's an inspiration. Everyone out there listening. So please, um, where can we find you, Joanna?
1: So everything is at jrothman.com. J-R-O-T-H-M-A-N.com. The books are there. Uh, they're in um, print and ebook in all the stores and i'm working on the audio that's in progress and uh, and when i have the workshops ready i will announce them and put them on my website
0: Excellent. I encourage everyone to go and check these books out. I think they're indispensable. Even if you wouldn't call yourself a manager, there's so much great wisdom here about how management in large-scale organizations works and flows and some of the mythologies and, and issues that you're likely to encounter. And it's got a real practical resource kit for helping you navigate those things. So I think it's an indispensable tool. I learned so much reading it. I want to thank you for writing these. On behalf of everyone in the Agile community, because it's it's information like this that helps us be successful and helps make Agile stick and grow and become something beautiful that we want it to be. And, and it helps achieve your mission of bringing humanity back to organizations, which I know is really important to a lot of us. So thank you for doing that.
1: Well, thank you.
0: I appreciate you being on the show with me today, Joanna. I hope we get to talk to you again soon.
1: I hope so.